Hi, I'm Trinity French, and I'm half of the coaching duo here at Wired to Change with the number two. And today we have a very, very, very special guest, Dr. Holly Sullinger. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I think it's going to be fun. I am super excited. We definitely miss Mike today, but he is not here because of his grandson, Oliver. He is doing the grandpa thing, and we know how much he loves Oliver. So it is absolutely okay that we get to have a little girl time. I think that's wonderful. And I think what Mike's doing is great, family first. Absolutely, 100%. So one of the first things that um, kind of wowed me when I met you is that we know some mutual people. Yeah. Um, you walked into the podcast studio. We're here at the Purple <laughs> Comma Studio, and you knew Drago right off the bat. Right off the bat. So Love Drago. Obviously, you know good people. I do. And you're well-connected within the triangle. And then on top of that, Mike always provides me with notes for the shows. Uh-oh. And I know, I know. And I wonder he, what those notes he, could contain. He might have dug up a little dirt on you. Cool. And also a list of all of the leadership, professional development topics, and technology topics that you are an expert in. And it's a full page long. <laughs> Which I was like, I okay, paid him to say that. We no. are going to have plenty to talk about today. Absolutely. So, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about you? Tell us who are you? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. So, I am somebody who gets really jazzed when I see the light bulb moments go on for others. Um, I my entire life, I tried to escape it. Um, I had a mother who was a kindergarten teacher her entire life. I have a daughter who's a fourth grade teacher. I have great grandparents who were pioneer teachers in the Midwest. So we have education disease in our blood. We mm -hmm. just love to educate. We love it when we learn and when we help others learn. That's amazing. So my company is Dr. Holly Speaks. And my entire adult life, I've done corporate speaking, training, and consulting, and a lot of facilitation. And I do three broad topic areas. You mentioned the page there. Mm -hmm. I do technology, leadership, and professional development. So... Um, and it's, it didn't start out that way. Obviously, it started out small, and then it became what it is now. And I love what I do. I love making people's lives easier and helping them stay relevant. That's awesome. You know, you really said something that resonated with me and I think is so important for our listeners to hear, which is it started small and then it grew into something. Because I think so many times people see where somebody's at in their career right. and they think, wow, that person is so lucky and they, you know, I want what they have, but they want it tomorrow, not realizing that there were a lot of steps that it took to get there and it didn't just happen overnight. Yeah, so there's uh, a lot of experts out there say that it takes about 10,000 hours to get really good at anything. Absolutely. So that's not an overnight. That is definitely you know? not overnight. Mm -mm. And um, what book is that? Uh, uh, Maxwell. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with the 10,000 hour theory. So um, love it. And so you don't look old enough to be on your way to oh, your 10,000 hours. But... By the list of things in front of me, it looks like that yeah. you have definitely um, built up a good reputation and repertoire of things that you are able to help people with. And and so going back to, like you said, the beginning, um, I never in a million years would have thought that I would have ha ended up with the career that I have. So, you know, we hear today, it's really big today to hear about people pivoting and being resilient and finding something else because so much was taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And even though life is rough, sometimes when we have to do something like that, we end up the better for it. So I went through life all the way halfway through college, terrified to speak in public. 
Really? Ter- terrified. And I would, I was a straight A student. I was very retentive about my grades, but I would skip every single time we were supposed to give a speech. I would skip because I knew that there'd be a makeup day at the end and there'd be almost nobody there and I'd be safe, you know. And when I did get up to speak in front of people, um, I would stammer. I would talk way too fast. It was just ugly. I felt like I was going to be sick, you know. And about halfway through college, my dad heard me, overheard me. I didn't realize he was around. He heard me saying to my younger sister that I was going to skip the next day because it was a speech day. And my dad is, he is the most pivotal person in my life, the most amazing father anybody could have ever had. And he whipped around the corner and said, absolutely not. No daughter of mine is going to be afraid of something like that. Wow. And I was like, but I, too late. I already <laughs> too late, dad. I already am. You know? And um, he said in two days, he goes, I want you to be dressed and down at my car at 630 in the morning. And I was like, is he going to, like, dump me in the desert? You know what it's right. <laughs> like a worthless child. What's here's, the deal? Your, here's your rucksack and <laughs> have fun. <laughs> and, and don't come out until you can speak, right? No, he, um, he, he didn't tell me where we were going. But I, I love my dad. I knew he never would have anything other than good things intended for me. He ended up taking me to his Toastmasters breakfast meeting. And he took me now, for those of you that don't know about Toastmasters, it has nothing to do with toast. Um, it's a, an international group that helps you learn how to speak in public or spe- just speak in general. And uh, he made me go with him for two years. And when I say made me, it, it ended up being fun. I was like this little 19-year-old girl with all these middle-aged male executives, right? right? Yeah. And they all adopted me. Oh. Um, but I learned to speak. And at the end of that two years, it was as if by magic. Um, two of my college professors called up and they said, we want you to teach an evening class. You know a t- particular topic that nobody else around here knows, and we want you to teach it. And every ounce of my being still wanted to scream no, because I still had that kind of intimidation, the fear level. But I knew I had the skill at that point. So I forced myself to say yes. And so little by little, by forcing myself and facing up to it, it became a full career. And I, I remember distinctly the night that I was teaching and I managed to look up and see that faces were interested and engaged. And they, you know, they also looked compassionate at me because I was, they could tell I was terrified. Right. Um, and I thought, this is cool. They're not, they don't care about me. They want my message. Right. And once I could separate that out and say this, I can give this to these people. Then it made me feel empowered. And I seem, I seem to have flown with that. <laughs> that <laughs> is point. amazing. Yeah. So I love that you say that because I now, you know, do a ton of public speaking. Yeah. And when I was younger, public speaking absolutely terrified me. Yeah. And it still does. Yeah. Um, I'll get up, I do it. But on the inside, until the words are starting to come out of my mouth, I'm like, why in Hades am I actually doing this? <laughs> like, this is the most terrible idea ever. But when I was younger, I danced for, you know, 16, 17 years before I started going into any public speaking. And um, the only time that I had ever gotten in front of people was either dancing or I loved drama. So I was always the lead in the class play. And but when you're doing that, you don't have to have your own words. Right. You're cre- you're you're in a character of somebody else. So pretending to be something different was so easy and natural to me. But when I had to get up and it had to be me up there and it's me that they're judging, there was so much more pressure behind that than, you know, memorizing a script and acting it out or memorizing a dance routine and putting it on in front of 
you know, hundreds of, if not thousands of people. So, so how do you master your nerves when you have nerves? Because we all still have nerves from time to time. How do you master your nerves? I'm curious. Um, one, the so people that have listened to our show know that my tagline and my mantra to myself is it can't kill you. <laughs> Like it literally, like, I mean, and, and I'll be like, Trinity, <laughs> suck it up, buttercup. It can't kill you. I like, what is the, and, and then I, I'm like, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? You stutter a little, you lose your spot, you forget something. And I have always used humor to overcome that. So when I do speak in public, I found ways for it to be humorous and make people Good. laugh because as soon as I get that first little chuckle out of people, it's like, oh, okay, and then it feeds and then it grows. And then before you know, it's like, I'm a monster and I don't want to get off stage. That's because, the performer in you. Yes. yes. And then it's like, ooh, this feels good. Yeah. And then I get off the stage and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to do that again until I say yes to doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I it repeats it. itself. Yeah. I love it. But definitely humor and just knowing that at the end of the day, of all the things that I'm doing, one, you know, most of the time I'm getting paid. So it's a job. Yeah. And, you know, those of us that work and get paid, which most everybody does, you enjoy getting paid for what we do. (laughs) And when I was in college, my favorite class that I took actually wound up being my speech and debate class. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I learned so much from my communications professor that taught speech and debate. He actually is the gentleman who taught all of the Miss Michigans and took them. Like, so he was, he would help all the pageant girls you know, know to know what to say, to know what to say yeah. how to say it. And oh. he lent a lot of that to what he taught us. And not just in how to put a good speech together, but also just how to deliver something and how to do it comfortably. And really just, even if you don't feel confident, how to fake that confidence. That's awesome. Yeah. That what about awesome. you? Um, I actually, that's one of the methods that I use. But when I'm doing like a corporate speech, speaking engagement. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, I was asked to speak for a large professional association. This has been many years ago now, but it was in the Marriott in Durham. Mm -hmm. And in the the basement, you know, they have that huge, 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 I guess, conference room, I'm going to call it. And um, I, I didn't ask ahead of time, which I should have done, you know, how many people will be in attendance. And I showed up and uh, I hugged the, the ladies that coordinated it. They were good friends. And I said, hey, can I go in and get set up? And they said, oh, no, no, you follow the other, you know, you have the keynote. And that was news to me at the time. And I said, oh, okay. And they said, just peek in and you can see the, the room. And I opened up the door and the entire place had been opened up. There were 1,200 people sitting in there. There were two big screens on either side, and the speaker that was up there at the time looked like a little ant up there mm-hmm. in the middle. And I remember closing the door and taking a big, you know, gulp uh, because it was very intimidating. But as I walked in, and and this is something that I tell all my potential speakers: when you walk into a place like that, when you have the time, you want to meet some people on the way. So as I walked up the aisle, I talked to people: "How's it going?" What have, you, what have you learned here today? Are you having a great time? And they talk to you. By the time you get to the front, you feel like you're in a you house know everybody. friends. That's yes. right. And then the other thing that I did prior to walking into the room is I used visualization. So visualization is something that my dad taught me from the time I was knee high. And I thought everybody knew how to do it. And I understand now it's like not a normal thing that everybody does. But it's basically being a performer in your mind. You basically run a little film strip in your mind of what you want to have happen. You visualize it happening. And you run it over and over and over again. 
And this is, believe it or not, this is what the professional athletes do when they're traveling back before COVID, when they would travel, <laughs> you know, on planes or buses or whatever, they're not practicing. But if they but visualize, they in their are, brains. that's right. And experts ah. tell us that 70% as effective as actually doing it. So I visualized myself going to the front, being confident, getting started confidently, seeing smiles back, making good points. And that's actually what happened. That is so, fantastic. Yeah. I just realized that when I go in to do a speech or talk to people, I always make sure that I talk to people in the audience first. Good. And so you're just intuitively doing it. That's great. Well, because I like to call on people, get them interactive, mm -hmm. point at them, eye contact, because you're right. If you feel like you know those people now, it, it takes away some of that fear. And I always felt like if they felt like they knew me, they're going to be more engaged that's very true than if they didn't so yep. that's really i'm just thinking like okay steps to having a great public speaker <laughs> number one number one <laughs> engage your audience number two yeah and there are and what did you call it when you're pre-thinking visualization. visualization visualization yeah and and literally i think it was michael jordan who really made it popular like amongst professional athletes and they all use it now when they're not physically doing something they're thinking about okay, what if so-and-so blocks me over here? Well, I'm going to do this, this, or this, and this mm -hmm. is what it would look like. And they run through it in their minds a couple times. And by the time it happens, they're ready. Yeah. They're ready for it. Um, I think the times when I'm doing that, if I have um, to like fire somebody or something hard that's coming up, I'll play out all the different scenarios in my head and what I would say back. And yeah. I guess that's, a form of, vis of a form of visual visualization, but I never thought, hey, take that and apply it to the other things that you're doing. Yeah, anything that you find that you're tentative about doing or you feel it's um, it's new and different or it's not quite comfortable yet, if you just practice visualizing it, it makes it all the better. Um, it's funny because I have never been able to do the drama thing. I have trouble getting lost in another character. Um, but my daughter's like you. She loves being on stage. She's very um, outgoing. She's got that theater presence everywhere she goes, mm -hmm. you know. And um, the few times that I've had to do something where I've had to kind of sort of simulate being an actor, actress, whatever, I've, I've used it all over the place because it's just not my comfort zone. Right. So visualization works for anything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So what other advice do you have people? Because I think so many people have to speak at different points in their careers. You never know when that's going to come up or when you're going to be put in front of a training class or be right. asked to present or, um, you know, even we were talking about a mutual friend we have, Carrie. Yes. Um, and when she had asked me, I met her at a bar. Nice. Like totally random. She actually complimented my knee-high socks, which were fake. <laughs> For those of you gentlemen out there that don't know, they make fake knee-high socks that actually just go around the top of your legs to make it look like you're wearing knee-high socks under my knee-high boots. And that's how we started talking. I love it. I love and it. And I wound up finding out that she made jewelry, and we were talking that, and then we were talking UNC basketball because we were all there watching the game. And before you know it, we're exchanging contact information, and I'm scheduling a one-to-one -one with her. And we have our one-to-one, -one, and during that, she asks if I would come speak at the crew transitions forum beautiful and that was one of those moments where I was like oh man and of course I said yes but at the same time I was like why did I agree to do this I don't know why and it's going to be terrible but then 
I kept telling myself, again, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. And it's going to be great. It'll be fun. Like, just have fun with it. Yep. Because if you're not having fun with it, people can tell. Yeah. And if I'm having fun with it, then the audience is going to be engaged and they're going to be having fun. I agree. And I think the best part about Toastmasters or taking a public speaking course or anything like that is to learn how to read your audience Mm -hmm. because you can tell if they are breaking eye contact or they're not engaged or you, you know, try to be funny and it lands flat and you can play to your audience and even if I had something completely scripted and ready to go, most of the time I'm going to wind up winging it based on their either interest or if I tell, if I can tell that they're super interested in a topic, like elaborating on that a little bit more than maybe something else. Yep. So what other tips do you have for people that are in a presenta- presenting mode? So the biggest thing, and I kind of alluded to this, but the audience comes in with the, um, the whole idea behind them of what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And so if you can remove yourself for just a moment and, and think of yourself just as a vehicle for the information delivery and put yourself in the shoes of the audience. If I was in the audience, what would I be looking for? What are my passions? What are my interests? Why would I be sitting through this? Um, that helps to kind of loosen you up a little bit. You know, what are they looking for? For example, the people in Career Transitions Forum are without a job right now. Right. So they're not worried about, you know, judging a speaker. They're like, please give me some morsel of knowledge that will help me in my career transition. You know, and if you think of it that way, um, think of it from their perspective, it helps you form all of your, everything that you were talking about, the fun that you have, the Mm -hmm. information that you give. And then I, I move around a lot. I know you and I are both sitting here doing a podcast and we're both using our arms and our legs. And And if we could do this podcast standing up, we probably would. would. (laughs) That's it. But yeah, so I move around a lot because if you think about it, when you're watching someone, if they move, they recapture your attention. So it helps you stay focused. Yes. um, As an audience member. And it helps me because I'm hyper and I like to move. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, so there's a lot of things you could do. And then also, so many people use PowerPoints. And believe it or not, PowerPoints actually usually help the audience because they see you and then they have a visual kind of confirmation of what's being talked about. But so many people use it incorrectly. And so that's one of the biggest things that I teach is how to do a correct presentation, both from a presenter speaker's perspective and then also from a technology perspective. Yeah, I, I'm probably the worst person to go see anyone public speak because I'm so critical. Yep. Of because them. you've done it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh gosh, I can't believe it. And it, it drives me crazy when people put their entire presentation on a PowerPoint it. and read it. Yep. Because I'm like, I'm a fast reader. Yep. So I'm like, I'm done. done. I'm already done. Like you, <laughs> you've you lost my, right. Yeah. Like you've lost my, I'm like, okay, I've already read it. Move on to the next one. Is there anything else that you can deliver? Are there any other tidbits that people should look out for and not put in their PowerPoint? Oh yeah. Well, there's a whole new style of pre- PowerPoint presentation called Pachacacha, or you'll hear some people Whoa. call it Pachacucha. I know it sounds like I just sneezed in the microphone, Yeah. Um, but it's, je- it's an Asian word. It means chit chat. And two architects in, in Asia came up with this idea because they were so tired of PowerPoints. So it's um, 20 slides in your PowerPoint presentation, and you do each one for a total of 20 seconds. So the presentation itself is, is six minutes and 40 seconds. That's it. Mm-hmm. And it's all images. So you have to carry the message. And that's the job of the speaker. That's what people don't realize. The speaker's there to present the information. Right. PowerPoint is literally just supposed to be a visual backup that kind of cements what the speaker's talking about. Not right. the presentation, 
but like a reminder. Minder. Yeah. Yes. And then you also, and I have people go, well, I'm presenting a budget. I can't just put a picture of a budget. <laughs> you know, you have handouts also. In a good presentation, you have handouts that people are going to get and walk away with. Mm-hmm. So if you need to give them a budget, you don't try to, oh my gosh, have you ever seen anybody try to put a spreadsheet up on a PowerPoint? I mean, it just oh, doesn't. Oh, it's terrible. It's horrible. So the speaker has the message, PowerPoint has the visual imagery for backup, and then you have a, a handout. And if you do those three things together, you have a great presentation. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. Really good advice. It really I, does work. I wish everyone that needs to be out there presenting would listen to this because <laughs> I've had to sit through more bad presentations than I care to ever have to sit through again. And I know it's bad if I want to leave. And I know it's really bad if I do get up and leave. And I've done the same. I and have done I the felt, same. And it, I used to feel... It's kind of like reading a bad book. I would be like, oh, I have to sit through this because it's so rude to leave. And then I was like, no, it's kind of like a signal of like, if people are leaving, that should be a signal to the speaker that something is not going well. Exactly. And, and if you think about it, um, we have so many demands on our time. If something's not truly worth our time, then we need to turn it to our attention to something that is. To something different. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're at a conference or somewhere where there's multiple speakers. Multiple options. Right. Yeah. Then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go find another one and see if they're doing any better. (laughs) And I've sometimes I've accidentally fallen into like a new speaker speaking and they're phenomenal. Right. And it's not even uh, a topic that you thought you'd be interested in. And you're like, this is great. Yeah. And maybe maybe it isn't something you're interested in, but they're so engaging. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, there was a women's conference um, a couple years ago here in Raleigh, and I think that all those women could have utilized your advice, and <laughs> it would have made the conference so much better because they were not professional public speakers. Mm-hmm. They needed a little bit of guidance, and just a little bit of guidance, I think, would have created a much better overall experience of the conference. So a friend of mine, um, Sarah Williams, she developed a program in this area. She's now moved back to Chicago, but it's called the Esteem Program, and it's for uh, young at-risk middle school girls. And it's to teach them to feel more positively about themselves. And it's a 12-week program, and at the end of the 12 weeks, they have to get up and give a presentation. And you want to talk about kids that want to turn inside out because Mm -hmm. they have to get, yeah. So um, Sarah asked me to work with the girls and to help them feel more comfortable. And you would not believe how well those, just with a couple of key points and a couple of tips and practices, um, how well they did. And I imagine they'll probably take those skills and continue to refine them as they continue to grow. That is priceless that yeah. that you gave them that. Yeah, it was, awesome. oh, it was so fun. They gave me so much too. They were such great girls. <laughs> so when you're not um, helping people become better public speakers or mm-hmm. public speaking yourself, yep. what other interests do you have? I have a lot of interest. If you're talking about what else do I do from a work perspective, mm-hmm. a big part of my work is is technology. So I do a lot of, I teach people how to do data analytics um, using Excel, using Power BI. That's a big demand on my time right now. Okay. Um, you know, people, there's so much data out there and people want to be able to, to make use of it, make it pretty. To mine it. Yes. To mine it. Absolutely. So that's something that I do. Um, and then a lot, just a lot of leadership topics, but um, Holly, the person, I have a lot of interests as well. Um, one of those right now, I have, you know, people have always said, you, you've got to find something positive out of every negative situation. I truly believe that. Find the silver lining. And in this COVIDness that we are in, 
my silver lining is that I don't have to travel. Mm. So all of the travel time that I used to spend, I've recouped and it's now Holly time. And I have been able to bump up my exercising. I've been able to get outside. I've been able to pick up some hobbies that mm-hmm. I hadn't done in quite some time. And so that's my silver lining. So in addition to working out, I'm doing things like uh, painting, you know, just just little things that just make me happy. happy. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And just a really good use of your time to reinvest in yourself versus... I know that with A-type leader type people, it's very easy to not say no and right. to wind up a little overcommitted yep. and then feel like you're failing at things because you've just taken on more than you can. Yeah, I spent, I let's see, there were I, two years ago, I went back out on my own. I've had my business my entire life, but I actually went to work and, and ran a division at North Carolina State University. Uh, for 10 years, I did that. And while I was doing that, I got my PhD. So I was uh, running a unit, which was a bazillion hours a week, getting my PhD, which was a bazillion hours a week. And then I still had my clients that I was doing speeches for and uh, trainings wow. for, etc. And so um, at the end of that time, I was like, okay, I'm ready to be back out on my own. I'm ready to, and it's just amazing. I'm, I'm still a type A person. I still stay very busy, but I'm healthier. Mm-hmm. I think better. I mean, when you're when you're working out too, your your mind is it's just like a mental it's like a mental um, boost for you as exactly. well. Exactly, all those endorphins. Yeah, or as my dear friend says, all those dolphins. Dolphins. <laughs> I think I like that one better. All those dolphins <laughs> all those swimming dolphins around. around. <laughs> so, what did you? Because I'm a huge NC State fan. Oh, Wolfpack, go Wolfpack. Yes, <laughs> go Pack, go Pack. And my husband Scott, huge NC State fan. Beautiful. So, what did you do at NC State? So I was I ran the corporate training division. It was called Technology Training Solutions, which has now come to an end, um, and uh, and we knew it was going to, but it, it it stopped, and so I went back out and just now I'm doing Dr. Holly speaks, but we basically did what I had done all my life. So we basically provided training experiences for corporations in our area. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So we had you know they would come. We had a dedicated classroom space they would come to, or we would go to their location. Awesome. Who's the favorite one that you worked with? My favorite client is probably a client I'm still working with, um, Blue Cross. Blue Cross. Yeah, they right. have Blue University over in Durham. They're really a big believers in keeping their workforce trained and allowing them to have just tons of educational opportunities. So they're one of my favorites. Awesome. Yeah. So as a small business owner, since this is all about small business, yeah. one of my favorite questions to ask is what is one thing that you struggled with and were able to overcome? Okay. Yeah, that's easy. Um, selling myself. Um, in the beginning, when, for example, I first moved to North Carolina, I got a job doing some corporate training through NC State. And the work just exploded on its own. I didn't have to say a word. I didn't have to sell myself. And I've always hated sales. I don't feel like I'm a good salesperson. And then finally, I was sitting down with a friend at one point. She said, but Holly, you're selling yourself every time you get up in front of a group. And I just had never thought of it that way before. So this time when I got back out on my own, it was a little bit different. I, people continued to think of me as being at NC State. They didn't, it was hard for them to realize, oh no, she's on her own now. She has more time for us, right? Right. So I had to jump on, I had to learn how to sell myself. I had to jump on the social media bandwagon. I had to um, figure out how I could reach out to people and connect with people on LinkedIn and make phone calls and all that stuff. And 
every time I got intimidated by it and said, oh, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I said, now stop. You do this when you're in front, anytime you get in front of a room and you just do the very best thing you can, you're selling yourself. That's all you have to do. And it's become very easy for me. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And probably very good advice for, I mean, make I those think, connections. Make I think those connections. that we're all in sales. So we are. And you're, whether or not you have a sales title or not, you're always either selling yourself to your boss or selling your ideas to your peers or whatever it is. We're all somehow in a sales capacity. Right. And being able to have confidence in that and take it to that next level. But when you're starting a small business, I think it's the one of the greatest misconceptions is people are like, oh, I, I want to be a business owner. I want to be a business owner. I can't wait to open a small business. I'm like, well, until you have employees and other people that can sell for you, and a following. You, you are the salesperson. <laughs> That's right. So if you're telling me that you want to start a small business, you're pretty much telling me that you want to go into sales. Right. That's exactly right. And, and it is terrifying. Yep. And for our coaching clients, I think it's one of the number one things that they have a great idea. They, you know, are putting together the back end, but it's a going out, getting clients, selling themselves or selling their product right. that becomes the you know, the cog and the wheel, and they just have to um, go through a lot of soul searching to figure out, okay, one, can I actually do this? And when I was recruiting for Hunter Row, so prior to selling real estate full time, I was doing all the recruiting and coaching and training of our real estate agents. And I coached a lot of them to not get into real estate because people think, oh, they, they think it's HGTV. You know, yeah. they, they're like, oh, I can open a door. I can show a house. I can, you know, write a contract. And, and I'm it's like, really complicated. oh, it, yeah. is, it is not that at all. It is all, you're selling yourself every time you have a listing appointment, every time you have a buyer orientation. The competition is super fierce and you have to be able to sell all the time. Yep. And if you're not able or comfortable to be able to do that, then it's not the right career path for you. And you really, and that's what we work with a lot of our clients. And even before they start getting into business, I tell them, go talk to a coach, talk to somebody and figure that out before you get into it. So that way you're not coming to me in debt, you know, a year later, wondering trying what to, wondering, yeah. yeah, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now it's, it's just something that you just have to realize. I know that, um, you know, in the very, very beginning, I guess, I was so focused on being my very best when I got in front of people just because it was my reputation. And I didn't realize that by being my very best and by, you know, giving it a thousand percent, it was also selling me. And that's what people need to realize is that when you're anytime, you can be anywhere. And if, like you said, you met Carrie in the middle of a bar. Right. You know? You're selling yourself constantly, and if Always. you're if you're, a, if you're a you know if you're doing the wrong thing, I almost said something. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a sloppy drunk, if you're a sloppy, yeah, or doing the wrong thing, then people are going to know that about you too. Mm -hmm. So you can sell yourself in a positive way. You can also sell yourself in a negative way. A hundred percent. And as a small business owner, you've got to remember that. And all of the little things that we do really matter. They do. If I had been dressed like a slob yep. or been loud and obnoxious or, you know, any other thing that could be seen as unprofessional, 
that opportunity would have never come up. Correct. And I did it because I wanted to give back to the community and it's, I wasn't getting paid anything for showing up and, and speaking for her. And I did it a couple of times for her and, but I wound up getting coaching clients and real estate clients just because they saw me in a professional capacity. Exactly. And that is what I think you have to remind people, Mike, um, on one of our past podcasts, we joked around about, you know, what do you wear when you go to Walmart on a Sunday? And I'm like, well, I'm putting on my nice athletic attire yes, because I want to be pulled together because I might run into a potential client or a current client or. And I have, I've run into like heads of corporations getting gas. Yeah. Or, and you know, and, and I'm like, thank God I'm dressed appropriately. Exactly. <laughs> or dressed. <laughs> Period. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So put on your good boots, put on your good bra yeah, and. That's right. Get out there and do it. What would you say has been the greatest success that you've achieved? Oh, wow. There have been, there have been so many. Um, I'll give you a story and it will be representative, I guess, of all of my best successes. So um, I did all of the training for the town of Cary for their staff for a long time until they moved it in-house because the staff got so big. And back when I was doing it, I did a lot of training on the Microsoft Office products. And I had a young fireman uh, decide to come take my classes and he sat in on a database class, a level one access class, and he was so psyched about it. He just, the geek in him came out, right? He was so psyched about it. He said, Miss Holly, can you do mind if I come back and sit in on it again? And I said, I don't care what, you know, as long as it's good with your fire captain, I don't care what you do. And so he sat in on that class a couple times, and then he took the level two, and then he took the level three, and he kept like repeat taking them. And pretty soon I was having to tell him, pipe down now, let other people have a chance to, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> But what I found out is, you know, firemen have, in between fires, they have a lot of downtime. They're sitting around kind of waiting. They're, they're stuck at the firehouse. A lot of them would be playing their, back then it was PlayStations, GameCubes, you know, whatever, and uh, waiting for a fire. And he said, he said, not me. I went over and sat on that computer in the corner, and I just kept practicing what you showed us in class. And he finally got the idea to put together a system for the firehouse. And it was an inventory system that they didn't have. Um, and I, I keep I keep kind of imitating his voice. He is from Chatham County. He's got the coolest Southern accent ever. Oh, but he's like, a good you know, old boy. Oh, good old boy, Miss Holly. Uh, these all our equipment's made in some you know foreign country. We can't pronounce a one of them, you know. And and so he put together this inventory system that made it really really super easy for them to look up and see what they had, what they didn't have, when they were going to run out, when they needed to reorder. And he did such a good job that his fire chief bragged to some of the other captains, you know, in the area. And they said, well, we want to copy that. So pretty soon, all of the different fire stations in Cary are using the system that Lee put together. Well, the IT department didn't like that because they were supposed to be, you know, doing right. that for, yeah, <laughs> particular <laughs> function. And so they finally called him in. They said, you know, you need it. And the fire chief said, no, he's going to continue to do this because he's doing so well. They actually shared that system throughout the state of North Carolina. And he started taking his time off from the fire department when he was at home, and he was he was employed as a database analyst by a very large company, which will remain unnamed. Um, he retired from the town of Cary, I think it's been about two years ago now, and he had been hired by the IT department as a database analyst. 
So oh, those stories. My heart's like, yay. <laughs> and he's now doing it as a consulting. I mean, he's just, he's raking in the bucks, you know, yeah. he's got three boys, so why not? But um, stories like that, that is probably one of my fun ones because I saw him often on so many times over the years. Um, but when people can tell me, oh, this changed my life, or even, you know, this change, this has saved me five hours a week, or, oh my gosh, now my team is communicating more effectively. That's, that's what I consider my success as. You know, I've helped somebody have a better life, an easier life, a happier life, a smarter life. That's my success. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, if people want to find you yeah. and they want you to come speak at their corporation or they want to pick your brain, yeah. where can they find you at? So I have a website, obviously. It's drhollyspeaks.com, and I'm drhollyspeaks at gmail.com. So both of those places will get you right to me. Super easy. And if you want to find us, we are all over the interwebs. Come follow us on uh, Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. And we are on LinkedIn. You can find Mike or I, or you can email us info at wiredtochange.com. And of course, we are trying to grow. And we love you, our listeners. So if you would share us and show the love for us as well, we would greatly appreciate it. So go ahead, like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you again on our Wired to Change podcast.